Hello and welcome to the Art of Health podcast, where we dive deep into the art of unlocking your true potential and transforming your health aesthetics and performance. I'm your host, Marie Steffen, a health and fitness coach with over a decade of experience in this field. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my personal best tips, valuable insights, and the wisdom gained from coaching thousands of people just like you. Welcome to another episode of the Art of Health podcast. Today, we will talk about what progress is regarding your fitness related goals because you can only make progress by seeing or noticing progress. I'm sure many of you, including myself, have already made much more progress in reality than we have realized. As progress is one of the main drivers for consistent motivation, I want you not only to understand what progress is and what you can expect in fitness-related goals, but also to build your awareness of your progress. Most of my listeners' and followers' goals are a mixture of aesthetic, performance and health goals. And the two main prioritized goals, according to many surveys, are either losing body fat, gaining muscle, or both. We will talk about different tools to measure your weight loss or muscle gain progress in a practical way, meaning outside of machines and devices that only doctors or scientists have access to. One main data point worth tracking to see if you're moving in the right direction for weight loss or muscle gain is your body weight. That's why I want to address first the optimal rate of weight loss if your purpose is achieving a more defined body and getting rid of extra body fat and the optimal rate of weight gain if your purpose is building muscle. And then we will also talk about other indicators of muscle gain or weight loss besides your body weight. Since I understand the meaning of progress, I see some type of improvement almost every day. Of course, some days I make more significant progress than others, but what progress really is, is a better state or improvement of any behavior or ability in a specific context. For example, you might not have PR'd your running time, but you did PR your time running in heat. The heat is the context or variables that can make an exercise or activity way more challenging. The meaning of progress for an individual person also shapes itself by the specific goal that the person has. Let's say someone wants to learn a pull-up and therefore starts going to the gym more regularly but doesn't notice any results. But what the person does realize in this example scenario is a reduction of 5 kilograms of body weight. Weight loss is a goal that many people have, but for this person it might not be relevant or the person may even want to gain weight. That said, progress in different areas has different meanings to each individual person. In addition to that, a desired outcome can change during the process of pursuing a goal. I experienced this with many clients that set goals in the beginning and then start to change their goals. And this is okay because every goal comes with a trade-off. At the beginning of pursuing the goal, you don't know if the trade-off is with the goal you want to achieve. We can therefore only assume 
that we still want a certain goal at the time we achieve the goal. To give you one more example, one client of mine aimed to lose seven kilograms of body weight. In the process of getting closer to her goal weight, she realized that a four kilogram reduction in body weight is much more desirable for her than seven kilos. Her realization was connected to A, aesthetics reasons. She actually liked how her body looked like at the body weight and B, to quality of life reasons. She realized that she would need to be very strict and limit her food intake more and more to lose more weight. That would mean for her not being able to drink a glass of wine with her family and friends every weekend or including her favorite foods once in a while. And the deficit would cause more limitations around food as the calorie deficit would need to be bigger and her food focus would start to increase. She took all these factors into account and realized that she already felt fit healthy and confident in her body and liked the quality of life and energy she currently is living at. So I hope that gave you an understanding of the meaning of progress and inspired you to be open-minded about what you really want in life. This is something that's constantly evolving, so it is very important to reflect on it consistently. That's why I like to ask my clients what their goals are and why they want to achieve them. If you are digging deeper and ask yourself about the why, you will get clarity about your purpose and if it's externally driven based on other people's opinions or what you think their opinion is or if your goal is intrinsically driven based on a decision you would make even if you were alone in the desert. But I'm not going into goal setting today too much, even though it is strongly connected to progress and expected outcomes. So let's begin with the understanding of what good weight progress is. It's crucial to have realistic expectations and not label the reaction of your weight as bad when you're actually on the right track. Many people think the faster you lose weight, the better. At least that's what many before and after results shown on the internet promote. But what little know is that the body weight shouldn't react too fast or too slow. Too fast weight gain or muscle loss is never good. Nobody who stays in shape for a long time makes rapid weight changes. Those people, including myself, got there because of daily small changes. And I'm saying small because they might not be noticeable daily, but they are noticeable accumulated over 6 or 12 months. To clarify the terms fast and slow weight loss in the context of aesthetic and health goals, I want to give you some numbers for some guidance or as a framework. And I'm saying guidance or framework because they can't be seen as absolutes, but they can still be very eye-opening as many people expect far different outcomes. For fat loss, we aim for an average weight loss rate between 0.3% and 1% of your body weight per week. This rate ensures you don't lose muscle tissue or as minimal as possible. 
Why is the risk of losing muscle tissue higher in a weight loss phase? Because when you are in a caloric deficit, meaning eating less than your body is expending, your body is in a so-called catabolic state. Catabolic refers to breaking down substances or molecules like body fat or muscle tissue of your body. As most individuals want to lose mainly fat tissue and not the muscle tissue they worked so hard for at the gym, I recommend to stay in that range of 0.3% to 1% per kilogram of body weight per week. Another reason why I like to stay with clients in that range is to avoid falling into the yo-yo dieting trap. The more aggressive a deficit is, the more food focus builds up and the higher the chance of overeating at some point. For those who don't know what yo-yo dieting is, yo-yo dieting describes a diet induced by an extreme deficit, usually far higher than necessary to see results, followed by rapid weight gain. The weight gain happens due to the increased chances of quitting and then overeating when the hunger levels are super high. I also would like to mention that an extreme deficit is not always linked to fast weight loss. You can be at a very low calorie intake without losing weight and the cost for that could be a thyroid issue or negative metabolic adaptations due to chronic dieting. But that's another topic for another day. My main statement was that the given range of weekly weight loss has two main benefits. One, the prevention of muscle loss. And the second benefit is the likelihood of adherence and therefore prevention of extreme cravings that build up so high that your survival mode takes over and lead you to overeating or eating more than planned. As I'm talking about a weekly rate of weight loss, I mean an average. To know your weekly average weight, I recommend weighing yourself at least three times a week. I recommend waiting four weeks when starting a new diet before making any changes or conclusions about whether your newly integrated behaviors are effective or not. For a fair assessment, you need to see at least four numbers of your average weight to observe the trend of your weight. Assuming you won't be able to stick to the new behaviors in the first weeks to 100%, it might be necessary to wait for a few more weeks until you get comprehensive numbers. It's super normal to experience slightly faster or slower progress from week to week as weight loss is not linear. At this point I would also like to remind you of my first podcast episode in which I highlight 13 reasons for weight fluctuations which are not fat and I will link this episode in the description below this video and in the show notes of the platform you're listening from. You might ask yourself if everything below a drop of 0.3% per kilograms of body weight is bad. And my answer is no, not necessarily. Some people want or should lose fat slower, for instance, in the case of the Olympian athlete I coach for heptathlon competitions. She needs to perform in each of her training sessions on an incredibly high level, but also has to be as light as possible. So we make sure that we keep her calories as high as possible while still being in a slight caloric deficit. Everything too aggressive would affect her performance negatively because each of her workout sessions depends on minor nuances. 
that means we are pursuing a very specific body weight for a particular goal of performance in which small adaptations are better. That way we don't mess up her workout routine, energy levels, hormones and her mindset. Now that was a very specific example but another one that transfers to a general population is when someone has difficulties with adherence. That could be due to the diet history of that person, the relationship with food, the individual hunger level, daily stresses, for example, when you have a highly stressful job, bad sleep or other types of training the person does and other factors that can have an impact on your hunger levels and food relationship. If that's the case, the goal should always be to keep these sensitive hunger levels as low as possible. In that instance, a smaller deficit, which might result in a slower weight loss rate, might be a better choice to ensure the most critical component of long-term success, which is consistency. On the other hand, if your goal is to build muscle, where you need to be in a caloric surplus to gain extra muscle tissue, then you are striving to gain weight. I know that most women fear the physical changes of gaining weight. But if you want to achieve significant changes in muscle gain, you should aim to gain weight. And I'm not talking about getting fat. Suppose you're training at a consistent frequency with appropriate intensity according to a program that is designed for progressively overloading. Then an average weight gain of 0.1 to 0.2 per kilograms of body weight per week is recommended to minimize fat gain and to ensure mostly muscle gain. And let me be clear about that. We can't tell our body to build more of a specific type of tissue. Our body runs countless metabolic processes day to day and is constantly building substances and breaking substances down. However, we can influence the net balance of our body composition with our training, eating and lifestyle behaviors if we do those consistently and correctly. Regarding the given rate of weight gain, I would like to mention that there are exceptions just like for the weight loss range. In the muscle building scenario, I would probably aim or allow and maybe expect slightly faster weight gain during a reverse diet phase. A reverse diet is an approach where calories will be increased slowly after a person has been for too long in a too extreme deficit aka chronic dieting. In that instance, the body needs to recover from that extreme deficit. Since the body is in a survival mode at this point, it could be that it holds on to additional calories faster until the body gets the signal that enough calories are provided. From this point of feeling safe again, the weight usually remains consistent or increases just very, very slowly. In this scenario, it's important to not only focus on weight change, but also on hunger levels and fixing the metabolism. For all fitness goals, I like to look at weight gain or weight loss as one factor that is an indicator of the current state of the body, catabolic or anabolic. And then I also add hunger level energy level, digestion, hormones, energy during the day and energy during your training sessions into the equation. If one of the factors is off or makes adherence impossible or very difficult for the client, I will deviate 
from the weight rate right guidelines. But how a person reacts to an increase in calories can be very different and is highly complex. Often individuals have more energy due to the extra calories and therefore spend more energy during the day without noticing it, which is paying into one part of our energy expenditure that's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or short, NEAT. NEAT counts for everything that is an activity, but not a legit workout, like fidgeting, walking, mimic, gesture, etc. When I increase calories of my clients, for example, they also tend to train harder because of the extra energy and therefore spend more calories during their training sessions. I have also seen many clients that have been in a deficit over a very long time, like one year or longer, which can be a huge stressor for the body. And in some of these instances, an increase in calories led to temporary decreases in body weight when the body no longer gets a signal of surviving in which all metabolic processes are in preservation mode. So again, take these rates as a guideline to look after, but not as firm rules. Before we dive into the following part to discuss other indicators of weight loss progress or progress in gaining muscles that you might haven't considered yet, I want to say a few words about body fat scales. Although these scales are getting more and more accurate, I still don't know any scale I can recommend for valid results. They often can't differentiate between fat and water content in the body. So that results might be more frustrating than helpful. Just keep that in mind if you're using a body fat scale. The most accurate tool to assess your body fat levels is a DEXA scan, usually accessible at specific doctor clinics and physicians. Although it's great if you can get a DEXA scan done, I would like to proceed in this episode with tools that everybody can use at home. The following measurement tool to see changes in your body composition, which I make all my clients do, and they don't always love to do in the beginning, but thank me for later, are form pictures. Form pictures are pictures of your physique, usually in sports underwear or normal underwear of your whole body from the frontal, side and back view. How you pose in those pictures doesn't matter as long as you are consistent with the poses as well as the setting of the light, which should be ideally natural light from the side and the perspective should remain consistent as well. I like to ask my clients for neutral and unflexed poses. That means a hip width stance, arms hanging next to the body, upright posture and straight frontal view. And I also like to ask for one flexed pose they want to compare themselves with, like a biceps flex, for example, to see changes in body composition even easier once they either build muscle, lost fat or sometimes even both. Form pictures can be compared every month or every other month. You can't expect drastic visible changes from month to month, but it's helpful to have a collection of pictures that you can compare next to each other on a timeline of six to 12 months. How much progress we see is strongly connected to the progress we expect. It's inevitable to have no expectations. We all have some imagination of an outcome. Still, if this imagination is very specific, the outcome can be quite frustrating, even if the result is from an objective point of view very good. 
That's why I recommend everyone who compares form pictures by themselves not to be fixated on a specific look and see the analysis of the before and after pictures as a fun searching game. Also, remember that form pictures are not the whole truth and that the body often looks or is perceived in better shape in real life. Form pictures are just an additional tool for measuring progress in body composition. So if your form pictures look significantly different, it's a pretty cool visible achievement you would not have if you didn't take those form pictures. Because the memory of how our body looked at the beginning of our weight loss or muscle gain journey is pretty bad. And our visual senses can't notice a difference in body changes from day to day. But the accumulation of changes over multiple months is very likely visible. So I like to highlight the areas for my clients that have changed and explain them to make them aware of their changes and what to look for. Areas to look at when comparing form pictures are, for instance, your inner thighs. Do they look more firm? Maybe your quads are defined or more muscular. And the next area I like to look at are the glutes. Even in the frontal perspective, maybe there is less fat on the outside of the transition of the glute to the thigh. And a very good indicator is the belly button as well, which could be deeper when body fat is higher or it is more flat or looks more stretched. And the third type of measurement to spot differences in body composition are your circumferences. For women, it makes sense to take the circumferences at the belly button over the hip bone at the widest part of your butt and the middle of your thigh or at the widest area of your thigh. When measuring circumferences, it is crucial to always measure at the same spot in an either relaxed or flexed state. I would always measure the relaxed state, but if you would like to see how much your flexed biceps muscles has grown, you should take the flexed measurement or both. I would measure circumferences earliest every two weeks because they don't change much and they don't change fast. So it's also just an additional way to see if you have made progress. Circumferences might be a motivating factor when the weight didn't move as fast as you desired or even stagnated, but the circumferences may move in the right direction. So this indicates a redistribution of fat and muscle tissue, which can mean a better looking physique, even if the weight is at a plateau. And one more indicator of muscle growth is an increase in your strength. Although an increase in strength doesn't equal an increase in muscle tissue, but it can be seen as a type of progress and it at least indicates that the training you're doing and how you eat moves in the right direction. All right, now we talked about many tools. That's why I would like to summarize all the tools we have talked about. Your average weekly body weight is a great indicator for weight loss or muscle gain. And a good guideline to look after is a decrease in 0.3% to 1% per kilograms of body weight for weight loss and an increase of 0.1 to 0.2% of weight gain for the purpose of building muscle while keeping in mind that approaching slow weight loss or faster weight gain is tolerated for people with chronic dieting histories high hunger levels or high level athletes to name just a few of the examples I mentioned today. Then we had 
form pictures to compare every month, which you can, by the way, also upload and compare in my new training app as well, which makes it very easy for you to see your results. And also consider measuring your circumferences every two to every four weeks and your strength levels could be an indicator for muscle hypertrophy, but is not a guaranteed sign. Since aesthetic health and performance-based progress are interconnected, we will talk about how you can measure an increase in strength, endurance, and mobility, and what different populations can expect to set a realistic mindset and expectations in the next episode. If you're seeking additional insights and complementary resources, I invite you to become a part of my newsletter community. Every week I share exclusive and valuable information to enhance your fitness journey. I will link the newsletter down below this episode. And for those of you who aspire to follow a comprehensive plan targeting strength, endurance, mobility, as well as aesthetic goals like weight loss and muscle gain, I welcome you to explore my new hybrid body program. You can test this program for a try period of seven days before making a membership commitment and you can cancel at any time. I hope this episode was helpful to you. If so, please support me by subscribing to this channel and sharing this episode with your friends, followers or family. And leaving a positive rating for the podcast allows me to create more valuable content. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Stay strong, flexy and healthy. And I see you in the next one.